Welcome to Church on the Rock. We are so glad that you are here with us worshiping this morning. You know, as I was listening to this song and singing this song, I was thinking, you know what? This is a real, true explanation of the God that we serve. Sometimes we get into problems and we have struggles, we have situations that weigh us down. And we can sometimes lose focus of the God that we serve. But God is unstoppable. And with him, all things are possible. Amen. The kingdom is coming. 
want anything like you. Nobody besides you. Come on, somebody declare that in this house this morning. We say, Lord, nobody besides you. There has never been anyone. Nobody besides you, there has The glory belongs to you. All worth, Lord, all honor, Lord, it belongs to you. So, Lord, we bring you our worship, Jesus. Oh, we bring you our worship, Jesus. Oh, we bring you our worship, Jesus. We bring you our worship, Jesus. So we worship you. Oh, we worship you. Oh, we worship you. Sometimes, and I said it before, that sometimes we get in the habit of going straight from one song to the next song. Because it's just, okay, this is what we do. We come to service and we sing this song and we sing that song. And in this moment, can we just take just a moment and forget about the next song for just a second and put our focus off of the song and put our heart on him? Lord, we love you. Lord, we invite your presence to come into this place. Lord, I know that there are people that have walked through that door, Lord, that are probably hurting and need your presence, Lord. So I pray that even now, Lord, as we praise you, as we love you, that you are inhabiting our praise. You're coming down, you're healing hearts, you're changing lives, because that's what your presence does, Lord. And we invite you to come, because that's, Lord, we love to be near you, Jesus. We welcome your presence, Lord. We welcome your presence, Lord. We welcome your presence, Lord. Oh, we welcome. 
I don't know about you, but I need it more every day. I need stronger amounts of his presence in my life every day. Because as we watch our world grow darker and darker, Lord, we just want you near Jesus. We want you near, oh God. Because, oh God, the glory is yours. The kingdom is come and the battle is over. Jesus, in your name we rise. The glory is yours. The glory is yours. Come on, somebody give him some praise. We bless your name, oh Lord. We bless your name, oh Lord. You're worthy, we trust in you, oh God. God gave us. But Nehemiah said, so I continued the work with even greater determination. And I felt like there are people here today that the enemy has tried to discourage you and intimidate you and shut you down from the work that you know that God has called you to do, from the anointing that he's given to you, from the ministry, from the outreach that you were supposed to be doing. And God wants to tell you today, don't let the enemy discourage you. Don't let him shut you down. Today, he wants to give you fresh hope, fresh joy, to, and be determination to finish what God's called you to do. We're going to call our prayer team down this morning. And we want to pray with you about anything. And we especially want to pray with you that are discouraged, that are feeling weak and tired and wanting to give up and quit. We are going to believe for a miracle moment today that you're going to be filled with fresh courage and strength. So as our ministry team, our prayer team comes down, we invite you to come and we'd like to pray with you this morning.
you thankful that he's for you this morning? Amen. Well, why don't you turn around and greet a few people this morning and tell them how happy you are to see them in God's house. So glad you're here worshiping with us. In the back of the chair in front of you, we have a lot of information about our church. Our inside look lets you know everything about who we are and what we believe in. Our ministry guide gives you plenty of opportunities to get connected through classes, small groups, and outreach opportunities. If you're a first-time guest, please fill out the white card in the seat back in front of you. You can either drop it in the offering or you can take it across the hall to the Connect Room where you'll receive a free gift bag. We offer Saturday night meals and snacks between Sunday services. And don't forget, the coffee bar is always open. We're so glad you're here and we hope that you know there's always a place for you at Church on the Run. It's that special time of year. The leaves are changing, the air is getting colder, and we are celebrating with our Church on the Rock Family Fall Festival. A chance for our Church on the Rock family to have some food, fellowship, and fun. With games, candy, hot chocolate, s'mores, you won't want to miss out on the Church on the Rock Family Fall Festival. Saturday evening, October 31st, after service. because they genuinely share themselves with us and they live what they preach. I love my pastors because they're real. They're real people with real struggles. They don't try to pretend that we don't have problems. They have problems like the rest of us. And they teach us through God's Word the truth about how to handle our struggles. I love my pastors because they're funny and I love them. I love my pastors because they're not just my pastors. They're my friends. We love our pastors because they're awesome. And they lead by example. I love my pastors because they teach me about the Lord and they're awesome. I love my pastors because they're cool, they're nice, and they're good. I love our pastors because they are just really awesome people. And when you think about your pastors, you think about people that you would like to serve. But when I, when I think about our pastors, they are such servants, all of them. And it doesn't matter um, what the problem is, what the situation is. 
uh, the first thing they usually say is, how can I help? And I can think back when I um, first came to this church, um, God had placed it on my heart to become a foster parent. And when I was at a church prior to here, and I had I was all excited because God had told me that, and they were just like, oh, really? You're going to do that? And so when I came here, um, I was very hesitant to tell anybody um, that I was planning to become a foster parent. And when Pastor Linnell found out, she was just like, more excited than I was and she was like oh my goodness that is so great how can we help and it was the first thing out of her mouth and through the years that I have been here that's the first thing that comes out of their mouth um, anytime a situation comes up they are so quick to say how can I help they are all about servant serving and therefore it makes us want to serve so we love our pastors because they are just awesome I love my pastors because they're just so darn cute, and some of them can preach. I love my pastors because they're truly about discipling people. I love my pastors because they believe in you when you don't believe in yourself. I love my pastor because he teaches me about Jesus. I love my pastors because I know that they love me, not in just what they say, but in what they do. Through the difficult times of my life, pastors always been there reaching out and talking to me and loving on me and just making sure that things were okay. And I know that they just not only love me, but they love my family. My family loves this church, and I love this church, and I love my pastors. My name is Pam Jones, and I greet here at Church on the Rock. And I am excited and committed to imagine more, because every Sunday when I am greeting in the lobby, it is full. The hallways are crowded, and the stairs to the kid zone, it is congested. We need more room for the people we have coming to the church. Welcome to Church on the Rock. It's all right. Give Jesus a hand clap. Go ahead. Amen. Hey, what do we say? We officially declare, declare today a new season. Amen. Nice and fresh, cold air out there. But you know it's a new season in the spirit realm too. I really feel that. Basically because the Bible says his mercy is new every morning. But there's something about change of season. There's something in the spirit realm too. But uh, I want to encourage you, a new season, good time to get a Bible guide and start reading. If you've got off track or if you're not having a Bible reading time, man, grab that. In the back of your chair, read a couple chapters a day. You know, King Hezekiah, it was said that when he read the Word, he was successful in all he put his hands to. So if you want to be successful, that's a great place to start. The second place I'd do is I'd go to the Connect Room right after I leave the stage and come to the leadership class. But more than a leadership class, it's how to be a real success. So that means how to be a success using godly principles, whether you're a housewife, a teacher, businessman, whatever it is. And that starts right uh, when I leave the stage before Pastor Travis gets up here. But... 
that last thing you saw on the video announcements was Imagine More. Expanding this facility, making more room to reach people, reach lost people, because the time is short. And we got to make room. And if you've been through these hallways, you know you brush up against everybody. And right now, there's classrooms in the baptism over there and wherever. But what we'd like you to do, grab one of those commitment cards and the chair ahead in front of you. Maybe you've already made a commitment. If you haven't, make a commitment or just take it, put it in your Bible and pray about it. Lord, what kind of a commitment can I and my family make? And then when you make that commitment, go out in that foyer. You'll see this board out there with all kinds of holes. And if you look real close, it says, imagine more. And when you make a commitment, take a nail and push it in one of the holes. Or if you have, we'll see this thing spell out, imagine more. And we'll begin to reach our goals of hopefully a million by the spring so we can break ground and get that new nursery and the classrooms going. Amen? How many willing to make a commitment? Because if we all do a little something and work together, I'm telling you, that's when it can happen. Amen? Pastor Travis? Amen. Good to see everybody. You know, I'm so excited about what God's doing in the life of our church. Anybody else? God is good. Hey, it's offering time, and we're going to show a quick video uh, for the offering. And something really amazing happened this past Wednesday. Uh, FCA put on an event called Fields of Faith. It was at PG Stadium, and over 3,500 teenagers showed up to worship God, to hang out. Over 500 students made commitments to Jesus. Is that not awesome? That's amazing. Listen, God's doing some awesome things in our community, in our church, with kids, with youth, with connection, with just every ministry. God's doing awesome things. And we had a young lady that gave her testimony at Fields of Faith in front of 3,500 people. It's Rebecca Miller, Pastor John and Miss Linnell's daughter, and she did a great job. And we want you to check this out. Look, when we give our tithes and offerings, God turns that money into giving. And this is just another way that God's doing some awesome things. So God bless you as you give. Let's check this out. So my whole life, I've known about Jesus, and I've known that he loved me, but I never really knew him at a personal level, and I never really had to depend on him. Like, I had a Bible, but I promise you, I've probably never opened it. And I would pray sometimes, you know, right before a math test, I forgot to study for, but that was the gist of it all. I really just didn't know him. And my seventh grade year, everything was kind of tested. My mom was diagnosed with cancer. And, you know, your seventh grade year, you're just starting to be a teenager. So you really, a teenage girl really needs her mom. And I just remember everyone telling me, like, cherish every moment you have with her because it could be your last. And that just hit me, like, really hard. Like, I just started thinking, what would I do without a mom? And I just remember struggling and coming home from school every night and just being mad. I was angry at everybody, my friends, my teachers, my family, even my mom. And I would just go in my room and I would just get so frustrated. I wouldn't know what to do and I would just start crying. And I just felt so alone. I felt like no one really understood what I was going through and that I couldn't really talk to anybody about it. And after a few months, I, you know, I just got tired of it. I was like, I'm tired of being mad. I'm tired of being sad. I'm tired of all of this. And so I looked in the corner of my room on my bookshelf and there's my Bible. So I was like, uh, okay, I guess I'll read a chapter or two. So I opened it up, and I didn't really know where to start, so I just opened to Psalms, and I opened it to Psalms 56. And as I was reading, I got to verse 8, and it says, He has kept track of all your sorrows, and he has kept all your tears in a bottle. And then it hit me. It's like, I was never alone. You know, God is not to blame for my mom's cancer. And it's like, 
crazy to think that I ever felt alone. Because after that day, I promise you, every day I got on my knees and I started praying to God to heal my mom. And I knew he would because I started to trust in him. And it's like so crazy to think that I was ever alone. And now my mom's a missionary and I see her go across to all these different nations around the world. And it's like she was hitting this many people, but now that she has her testimony that she's healed, she can hit so many more people. And it's like God is so good. He takes something that's so awful and turns it into something so wonderful. And now I know when I walk down the hallway, I'm filled with joy from God. And I feel with so much peace knowing that I'm walking with the kings of kings right next to me. Like, what can you be afraid of? It's just so amazing. And my relationship has gone from year to year with him. And I'm so thankful for that. And I just am going to keep pursuing him in everything I do and keep my plan for him going. out to heaven, my God. He's an awesome, awesome God. Let it just ring from your lips. Hey, praise the Lord. How many believe that this morning? Give Jesus a big hand today. He is indeed worthy of all our praise. Praise the Lord. Hey, why don't you greet somebody nearby? Tell them you are really glad they're here and you may be seated. Well, if you have your Bibles, once you go to John 3, John chapter 3. How many people from Texas here? Let me see your hand. Well, okay. How many from Arkansas? <laughs> the reason I ask is because we're voting in Texas in the next few days. Early voting starts tomorrow. Uh, we have seven constitutional amendments, and we've got some voter education material in the lobby. I hope you pick that up. If you're from Red Lick, you're going to be voting about your property taxes. If you're from Redwater, as I am, or New Boston or Decab, you'll be voting whether you want alcohol to be sold in your city. So big things. And how many know our world needs the Christian voice and influence? Well, we're beginning a new series this morning called People Matter. Can you say that with me? People, People Matter. John chapter 3, without a doubt, probably the most 
uh, popular, frequently quoted scripture in the Bible. John 3.16 said, For God so loved the world, come on, let's say it together, that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, when we look at that scripture, typically I'm drawn to the fact that God loves me. God's love for me was so great that it compelled Jesus to make a way so I could live eternally with him. We all know that sin gets us in trouble. Sin causes all the problems in life. Sin causes people to die. But Jesus made a way out, and he promises us to live after we die. Now, that's typically where we look at in this passage. But this morning, I want to focus on the first part that said, For God so loved the world. Now, that's not, that doesn't mean that God's in love with this planet. I mean, no, the Bible teaches that one day this earth is going to be destroyed and he'll create a new heaven and a new earth. Well, certainly, we're supposed to be stewards of the planet, but how many know the planet's not God? The planet's not an idol. It was created for man. But when Scripture says that for God so loved the world, what he literally means is that God loves the entire human race. Let me say it again. God loves the entire human race. Every person on the planet is valuable to God. Now, how many know in America today, we have been somewhat segregated into not just, we don't look at one another as individuals, but we look at one another as groups. We're grouped together by our race. One race is perceived to be at times better than another race. That's what racism is about, believing that one race is better than the other race. We're separated by our age, by our gender, by our looks. Uh, We're separated by the mistakes we've made in life. Do we have a criminal record? All these different things. And if we're not careful, these people that are different from us can be viewed as inferior to us. And if we're not careful, we'll even treat them in ways that are very detrimental. But what I want to suggest to you today is the foundation for this series is God loves every person on the planet. Come on. And if all people matter to God, all people should matter to me. Now, kind of foundational for the series, God, in Matthew 22, God expects us to treat people the way he treats them. Now, Matthew 22, Jesus was asked, what is the great commandment in the law? In other words, the first five books of the Bible, five books of Moses, the Pentateuch, literally Jesus was asked this question, then it wasn't a book as we have, but it was scrolls. He said, look at through Genesis and Exodus, the first five books, and tell me what is the most important passage in here to understand this book. And Jesus said this, the great commandment is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. But Jesus didn't stop there. Jesus said the second great commandment is you shall love your neighbor. Yeah. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, God loves all the people on the planet. They matter to him, and he wants me to love them too. And the scripture teaches us how we're supposed to treat people, and that's what this series is about. This morning, we're going to talk about different people matter to God. And I don't mean different as in weird. Come on, how many know there's different everywhere? But I mean people that are different from you and different from me, people that look differently, people that live in a different part of town, people that, that uh, have, in some ways, a different value system. Different people matter, and they matter to God. They should matter to me. Next week, we'll talk about difficult people matter. How many have some difficult people in your life, some just real knuckleheads? All right, we'll talk about them next week. But this morning, I want to focus on the phrase, different people matter. And I want to kick it off with a little video. Uh, It's a video about kindness. And again now, undergirding this whole series, I want you to think about the second great commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. 
And how many know love is not a feeling, it's an action? And take a little peek at this video and, and, and see how people are caring for folks that they don't even know. You only need a spark to start a whole blaze. It only takes a little faith. Let it start right here in this city. So these old walls will never be the same. Well, how many of the world would be a better place if we treated people like that? Well, sure it would. But America, by and large, is a divided nation. How many know, rather than people showing love and kindness like we just saw, love your neighbor, there's a lot of division and there's a lot of hatred in our nation. There's a lot of division and hatred in our city. I contemplated showing a video on, on racial violence in America, but uh, it was just too ugly and polarizing. Because whatever video I pick in America today, we're kind of taught to think of, why did he pick that one? Why didn't he show any Asian people in the video? Why did he mention, why did he mention a Hispanic person when there was a problem? And it's almost like there's this undercurrent in our culture today that pits us against each other. What I want to do is I want to just take a few minutes and, and, and I want to say some things that are going to make you a bit uncomfortable. Uh, kind of like turbulence on an airplane. How many just really don't like turbulence? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't either. Uh, I knew this was going to come, so I, I've installed some seat belts under the chairs for the service today. Now, now you that look, that was a joke, okay? There's really, there's really not seat belts there. But all I'm going to do for the next few minutes is I'm going to read some headlines. I'm going to talk about some topics. I'm going to mention some words and phrases and without assigning a value, judgment, or assess them to them, I just want to get in church what the world is talking about and what the world wants us to believe and how the world wants us to act and then try to figure out what's a biblical response to this. How should I as a Christian be relating to this division and hatred? A few weeks ago, there was a tragedy. There was a white gunman killed nine black people in a church in Charleston. 
The most popular book on Amazon now about racial violence is called White Girl Bleed a Lot, and it catalogs black-on-white violence. It talks about the knockout game, which is a game people are playing where they literally pick someone they don't know, they go up to them, and people just hit them with their fist or a brick or a stick and just see if they can knock them out. Uh, Clemson University apologized a few days ago because they served Mexican food, and it was called Maximum Mexican in the cafeteria, and they advertised it with a sombrero, and that offended some people. The group Black Lives Matter, it's a movement that promotes freedom uh, and justice for all black lives, and somehow it evolved into uh, an attack against police officers. Bill O'Reilly said it was becoming like the KKK targeting police. And in follow-up, there was a Whataburger employer in Dallas and wanted a Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, and when so a policeman came in for get some food, they said, we don't serve police. MTV has a show this, uh, this, uh, this season that shames white teenagers for atrocities committed by white people in the past that they had nothing to do with. Uh, Seinfeld said he won't go to college campuses and tell jokes because of political correctness and he no longer knows what's okay and what's not. Politicians tell us to hate the rich, and the rich are the source of our problems, and I'm where I am because somebody else has what I don't have, and they create envy in my own life. It creates class warfare. Um, the Redskins team has been under attack for a number of years because it's, to many, an offensive term for a, a football team. Confederate flags and statues, they're out. Uh, Columbus Day, by two major metropolitan cities, have been, has been changed to Indigenous Peoples Day. Louis Farrakhan uh, in a church called for 10,000 blacks to kill whites. The Ku Klux Klan claims to be a Christian organization. I went on their website and found some Bible verses that were there, but I've also seen the ugliness of its past in the movie Mississippi Burning. Uh, we're pretty good at name-calling. Al Sharpton, prior to President Obama's election, said President Ob- or, uh, Mr. Obama at that time was not authentically black enough to be president. Uh, there was a congressman called the Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas and Uncle Tom. Um, now, I'm white, in case you didn't know that. <laughs> Actually, somebody sent me a piece, uh, note uh, between services and says, well, you're not white. Paper is white. So I guess I'm, I don't even know what I am now. And, and, and if I try to refer to, I don't know whether to call, if your skin's darker than mine, I don't know whether to call you a black person, an African-American person. All I know is I can't use the N-word, but if you're black, you can use the N-word. So it's kind of confusing. Is this okay? All right, tighten your seatbelt up a little bit now. I know, I know some of you are getting a little uncomfortable here. Racial prejudice is around us, but the question is, with all this going on, how am I supposed to love my neighbor? As a Christian, how am I supposed to respond to the hostility, to the hatred, whether it's true or it's false, whether it was done to me recently in the past, or just to... How do I respond to the culture and climate of our nation today? Uh, how, How do I love my neighbor with all these things going on? And John chapter 4 is where we're going to begin. We're going to go to the Bible for answers. How many know racial hatred and prejudice is as old as the Bible itself? In John chapter 4, we see Jesus. He came, came to a town in Samaria. Uh, Jesus was very tired from his journey. He sat down by a well. He was thirsty. And a Samaritan woman came to draw water. 
And Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And the Samaritan woman said to him, well, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then what'd she say? Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Say it again. Jews don't associate with Samaritans. In America, it's Asians don't associate with Hispanics. The rich don't associate with the poor. The uneducated don't associate with the educated. Those on this side of the interstate don't associate with those that side of the interstate. Those on Arkansas don't associate with those on Texas because of the rivalry. And there's walls of division everywhere. But how many know Jesus came to tear down walls of division? There's an NIV note, again, about this passage. Jews don't associate with Samaritans. The NIV in a note said, the Jews don't use the dishes Samaritans have used. Sounds kind of like a water fountain, doesn't it? They don't use the same dishes. You see, there was a rabbinic law. There were laws that they lived by as the Jewish people. They were given by God the law of God, but then they had a commentary called the Midrash that explained the laws in daily life. It's called the rabbinic law, and there was a rabbinic law that said Samaritan women were unclean. Not just periodically, but they were always unclean. Hence, if they touched a dish and you touched that same dish, you would be ceremonially unclean. And Jesus, as a rabbi, that would cause big trouble. But here's what I want you to see. Jesus deliberately went to someone who is different from him. Let me say it again. Jesus went through all the prejudice of his day, and he loved this woman, and he didn't let prejudice and racism stop him. And I want to suggest to you that the starting place for dealing with racism in our culture and the prejudices that divide us, come on, is the Bible and the example of Jesus himself. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Now, we're talking about different people matter. Uh, Let me make this statement. We're all different, but we're all the same. We're all different, but we're all the same. Now, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, I think he's going to tell us we're all related. Go ahead and just, uh, just tell him I think he's about to say that. Well, here's what I want to ask you. Well, let me read it first. God began by making one person. Who do you think that one person was? God made Adam. And listen to this now. From Adam came all the... Different people who live everywhere in the world. So now, did I just say that or did the Bible say that? Does that sound like if all of us descended from Adam, if Ancestry.com really had its act together, it would trace every one of us to Adam. Some, some of you are turning red because your seatbelt is too tight. Loosen it a little bit. We're all different, but we're all the same. We're all related. James chapter 3 says this. James says, he's talking about the tongue. He said it's, a, it's restless, it's evil, it's full of deadly poison because sometimes it praises our Lord and Father and sometimes it curses those who've been made in the image of God. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Now, the image of God is a somewhat ambiguous phrase, but it doesn't mean that God is six foot tall, come on with light skin. 
It means that God has the capacity to reason. God has the capacity to love. Uh, God has the capacity for abstract thought. We bear these qualities with him. We are not God, but he has apportioned a portion of, of who he is to humanity, to humankind. Dogs are great and dogs are good and cats and animals, but we are different from the animal kingdom because we bear the image of God. This is why I believe it's wrong to take your own life, whether in suicide or whether it's, it's euthanasia now. Texas or California just passed a law. You can take your own life. Uh, we talk about a child in the womb. We talk about an elderly uh, person in the nursing home that has no contribution to society, doesn't recognize her family at all. All these people are valuable because they still bear the imprint or the image of God. And what the Bible teaches us, listen, that every one of us are valuable in God's eyes. Every person all over the planet, every skin color, come on, every nationality, all of us bear this image, come on, and because of that, we are in some way all related. So turn to your neighbor and say, I'll be over at your house this Christmas, you know. I mean, uh, all right, stay with me there. I'm not pushing you that far, but I want to ask you a question. Who am I? You're probably thinking that dummy. If he just looked on his driver's license, he could figure that out. I don't know. What box am I in? Have you found it interesting how computers over time have evolved so now they can target the exact advertisement that fits your desires right to your computer? They've put you in a box. Politicians want us all in neat little boxes so they can say, we're for you and we're going to look out for you and protect you. But let me tell you, a box as I'm perceived in, in modern society today. As I said earlier, uh, I thought I was white, but I'm not. But I'm going to put it up. And, and that's different than 50% of America already. So 50% of so of the boxes, I'm different. Uh, I'm 58. I'm middle-aged. Now, I'm a young middle-aged. I'm not an old middle-aged. But if you're under 30, I am really old and irrelevant, okay? So I am further distance from you. Uh, I am definitely a heterosexual. I'm different from some. Uh, I drive a truck. Yeah, some of you are preachers of redneck. Adam drove a truck. He said, I can't wait to hear this. Didn't the Bible say he was driven out of the Garden of Eden? <laughs> and the Bible also tells us that Eve started wearing clothes. Now, I happen to know that he could not carry all of Eve's clothes. Come on. <laughs> she had to have her winter ensemble, her spring, her short, her long, her, all these things. So he, he had to have a truck. But that makes me different. I like to eat meat. Come on. And all the non-vegetarians said... And all the vegetarians are scrouting right now. I'm married. Anyway, lots of different things. And if I were to talk politics with you, Republican, Democrat, Independent, some of you would never listen to another thing I had to say. Now here, listen. Because we have been taught to build a wall between R's and D's and I's. Now they are radically different, and I believe it makes a difference how you vote. But if we see one another through these eyes... We're in a box, I, and, I'm, and I'm justified to treat you in some way that's not right. Let me tell you what I really am. I'm a Christian. Now, you might clap your hands, but 
I'm a Christian before my race. Before you make me a white man, I'm going to be a Christian first. And I'm not going to respond to you as a white would respond to a black or a Hispanic or whatever the case is. I'm going to respond to you as a Christian. I'm not going to respond to you as my party tells me. I'm not going to vote, listen, the way my party tells me to vote. Come on. I'm voting as a Christian who believes in the Bible. Uh, I don't vote based on my age and ARP and all that. Uh, I mean, all these different things. It may be who we are, but how many know we're not defined by the kind of vehicle we drive. We're defined by the one that we serve in this life, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he said... We are to love our neighbor as ourselves, and we're to treat people the way God treats them because to God all people matter. Now, let's, let's, uh, let's go a little more in the Bible. Revelation chapter 5, the cross is the great equalizer of our differences. It is the cross of Jesus Christ. Revelation 5 verse 9, it's a picture in heaven. And in heaven there's a multitude gathered singing this song to Jesus, and they said, Worthy are you, Jesus for you were slain, and by your, this is the cross, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. In other words, you bought them back from the power of sin. Now, say this with me. You ransomed people from every tribe and language and people and nation. Now, think about this. Heaven is a place that is be people that are very different from me, and they're coming from all over this world. Come on. They're coming from both sides of the tracks, both sides of the state line. Come on. All skin colors, all, uh, not all genders. There's two genders. They're coming from both genders. They're coming across the ages. And if that's the way heaven is supposed to be, don't you think that's the way church should supposed yeah. to be? Yeah. I'm, I'm just kind of saying now. Now listen, most of us were not raised that way. But isn't it just possible that we're supposed to be able to come together as the body of Christ and whether we're worshiping together or see each other in the grocery store, come on, or see each other in the halls of school, and it matters more, come on, that we're Christians than anything else that puts us in a box. All right, half of you gone quiet. I'm going to keep going here. Galatians chapter 3, Paul the Apostle wrote, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now, this is not referring to water baptism, but it is referring to the fact that when you were saved, genuinely born again, the Holy Spirit supernaturally placed you in the body of Christ. It was a baptism into the body. But notice now, in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, now, the Jews were the chosen people. Greeks were Gentiles, any non-Jew. So this is every person on the planet. But in Christ, there is no wall. In Christ, there's neither slave nor free. This is not slavery as in Americans' tragic days when she did this. How many know there's still slavery today? Yeah, there is. Sex slavery? Yeah. Trafficking in human beings? Yeah. It's, an, it's an evil in America today. But, but in their world, two-thirds of the world were slaves. That didn't mean two-thirds of the people did, 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 did menial labor. But if an army were to come in and conquer your nation, they would take the doctors, the dentists, the lawyers, and they would become doctors, dentists, and lawyers, but they would just lose their rights and they would be slaves there. But in Christ, all those barriers are broken down. He goes on to say, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one. And if we're one in Christ... How dare we let someone influence us to build a barrier between our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ? Now, 
As I'm going with this, again, I'm not telling you who to marry. I'm not telling you who to be best friends with or vacation with and all that. Listen, live your life. My best friends just happen to be duck hunters and turkey hunters. Come on. <laughs> if, if I were designing my perfect church, it would be duck hunters, turkey hunters dressed in camo, and we'd probably meet out in the woods, you know, before we went hunting. No, just kind of kidding, sort of, a little bit. But, but, but you know, listen, you can be you. And still be a Christian, come on, that loves and embraces people that are different from you. This is a big thing. Now, as I was reading this passage in Galatians, uh, there was a prayer that Jewish men used to pray in the biblical era. And this prayer was, I thank God that that you have not made me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. And have you ever said out loud today, boy, I'm sure glad that I'm not... Boy, I'm sure glad I'm not that way. Because there's just a sense of superiority. You're very quiet. Look at these phrases. There's neither Jew nor Greek. Now, that means nothing to us. But do you think it implies there's no ethnic superiority? I think so. When it says there's neither slave nor free, you think that might mean there's no social status superiority? That... No matter what kind of car you drive or what kind of label is in your suit, come on, or whether you bought your shoes at Payless or at the Galleria, that none of these things make us better than someone else. There's no male or female, so now there's no gender superiority. But in Christ, when God looks at us, he sees a human being that he values. Now listen, if all this is true, then why is the 11 to 12 hour in America, the most segregated hour in America. I suggest to you because all of us naturally like to be with people that are like us. I certainly do. But my friend, the body of Christ is not just composed of people just like you and just like me. Come on. The body is composed of all the different people on the planet, and we need to be an example of this in the world. Shame on the church for the government having to impose some means to try to make us get along together that maybe can make us be on the same bus or the same classroom but can never change the heart of an individual. You can put me in jail, but you can't unclench my fist. That comes from a transformed heart. You got quiet again. James chapter 2, I'm going to keep reading. Let's move beyond race and talk a little bit about prejudice. If indeed all people do matter... Believers in our Lord Jesus Christ. How many would say that's me? We're going to have a large altar call at the end of the service today. See, some of you are smart, though. You're thinking, he's this is a setup. I know what he's trying to do. Okay. Captured cult. Believers in our Lord, glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. It's prejudice. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing fine clothes and a poor man comes in filthy clothes. He also comes in. Well, if you show special attention to the man with the fine clothes, but say to the poor man, sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated discriminated among yourselves? Now, that's the hot button word. If you take the word, they'll use discrimination, bigotry, and hatred to characterize anything that's not politically correct today. And I want to tell you, my friends, there is some false use of these terms, but here's an appropriate use where believers are somehow valuing, valuing another believer based on the, the, the material things that they have. Now, I want to tell you, this is not easy. 
I was going to save this story for a, a later message, but I'll go ahead and just share it right now. A number of years ago, I remember this woman was coming to our church, and, and, and she was just real. I mean, you could just tell life had been tough. She had a couple kids, and, and, and she'd sit on the front row. And as we began to understand a little bit about her, uh, her kids had lice. And uh, it, it was just not a pleasant situation. She didn't have apartment to live in. She was just, just barely, barely making it. Well, come to find out, she had just gone through cancer uh, uh, treatments. She didn't have any money. She didn't have any family any place to go. And she had gone to another church and they had asked her to leave because people like that weren't welcome. Come on now. I'm talking about somebody that's reached the bottom and had nowhere else to turn and thinks they're turning to the church and finds a, a, a stop sign saying that people like you are not welcome. If you show special attention to the man that wears fine clothes, but say to the poor, sit at my feet, you've discriminated because you become judges with evil thoughts. If you really keep the royal law of Scripture, what's it say? Love Love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin. One of the proudest moments of my life was when one of the ladies of our church took that woman to the, to the uh, wherever, Walgreens, whatever, got the stuff to help the kids and shampoo them and got them some new clothes and helped them get back on their feet again and help her find life, come on, when death was trying to take her. Now, to preach like this, is, is, uh, it's easy to preach. One of the values in our ministry, God, says that the church should be racially and culturally diverse. Well, that sounds great. But how many know that can be awkward sometimes? Does anyone ever make you uncomfortable in church? (laughs) They do me. (laughs) One week, you might have driven in the parking lot today, and you drove, you you parked, and someone in a a really nice car, you could tell a really wealthy, parked next to you, and your little car, car is held together by duct tape. But then you come in church, and a homeless person sits two, two rows down or two seats down from you. How in the world could a homeless person, a, a middle-class person, and a wealthy person be in the same church together? I can tell you how. Jesus has made us one. Not always easy, but it is a message to a watching world that the world desperately needs to hear. And I don't know about you, but it makes me proud to look across the church and see people that look different than me. Come on. To see not only white people, but to see black people, to see Hispanic people, to see Asian people. Come on. You just go on down the line. It makes me proud to be able to see different people, come on, who can come together in church and worship the same God together and, that, and be a testimony to the world in which we live today. Now, I'll tell you this as a parent. This is not always easy, but as a parent, you know what I found? I had three kids, and most of the time, my kids are going to be with people just like them. That's just that's what we all naturally do, but whoever they go to dance with and ball with, and all, they're going to be connecting 90% of the time with people like them. I want them to be able to come to church and find people different from them, come on, that they can learn to love people that are different from them rather than adopt the pride and prejudices of the world by just staying in your own little group. I'm preaching a little better than you're amen here, if I'll go ahead and tell myself that. But uh, let, me, let me go ahead and, 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 and close. In John chapter 13, I am convinced that our love for one another can change our community. 
And remember where we were when you put your seatbelt on and it got a little tight there at first and, and, and you wondered where I was going with all that, if you were going to walk out of the service or not? Remember that early part of the service? Our world is in trouble, and no one has any answers. In every political debate, debate, they're standing up now and they're saying, I have an answer, but guess what, friend? They don't. The answer for what's broken in America is a spiritual problem, come on, that demands a spiritual solution. And instead of the hatred that's been all around us, if the love of God would spring up in the walls of the church, it would spill over into the community and make a difference. John 13, Jesus said this, I'm giving you a new commandment. And it's not a thou shalt not, but it's simply this. He's speaking to Christians, followers of Christ, when Jesus said, Love one another, love each other, just as I have loved you, so you should love each other. And then he says this, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So when you walk this out, come on, with people who are different from you, whether it's in the church building or the grocery store or the ball team or the school, when you identify first because we're a Christian rather than the boxes of the world, my friend, what's happening in the sanctuary will spill over in our community and make a difference. I promise you. I read a sad statistic about our, uh, our city. I didn't have a chance to explore the Arkansas side of Texarkana, but, but in 2015... Uh, The FBI said Texarkana, Texas was in the top 10 list of the uh, top 10 list of the most dangerous cities in Texas. FBI 2015, Texarkana, Texas, it's based on issues like assault and per capita, but Texarkana, Texas was one of the most dangerous places to live. And then I thought about it. I've been here 25 years. How have pastors like myself failed? Come on. What could we do differently to inspire people to love one another and let these walls come down? I saw this lived out, and this, it, this is, is forever in my mind of what I'm talking about. But, you know, our, our, our church does a lot of outreaches in our city. Uh, we do something called Sidewalk Sunday School. Pastor Mike and his team, Bethany, they go down to one of the housing projects. I think it's every Tuesday, and anyone can go with them. But they have this group of kids in the housing projects, and, uh, you know, they just get them out there, and they kind of have church for these kids every week, you know, something on, on their level. Well, we also gave out backpacks. The housing complex had asked if we could supply those, and it was just the coolest things that people working together. And I went with one of my good friends, and uh, we were hanging out a little bit that day, and I said, let's just go down there and just be a part of it. And you know he's he's like me. He you know he's a uh, um, well we're not white so I don't know what we are but 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 we're a little darker than a piece of paper. Uh, same age you know he's a professional very successful you know person in life and uh, I, I lost him for a little while. I'm looking where'd he go? And I look and he's sitting on the ground by this little black girl and she's three. And I watched him for about 30 minutes. He'd go get her a hot dog, and he got her a Coke, and he made sure about her backpack and all that. And when it was over, I said, I said, what, what were you doing? He said, well, I was just kind of watching people, and I noticed that this little three-year-old girl was by herself. No brother, no sister, no supervisor. And she told me that whoever was watching her that day had just dropped her off in the crowd, three years old, had dropped her off in the crowd, cars coming by and everything, and, uh, and just left her there. So he took it upon himself. Nobody asked him to do it, but something in his heart drew him to someone that was very different from him, come on, and made an imprint on her little life that could well last the rest of her life. And that's what I'm talking about. If the church 
The love that we're talking about today, loving people, begins in the sanctuary and spills over into our community. It's just possible we'd see some change in Texarkana, USA. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord this morning. God bless you. I'm done. Why don't you stand to your feet with me today, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna pray here. Well, I'm glad you came this morning. Thank you, Linnell. I'm so glad you came, too. <laughs> next week, we're going to talk about difficult people matter. And uh, it won't be as much turbulence next week, but uh, uh, we're going to talk about the knuckleheads in your life and, and how, you, you know, how to kind of relate to them through the eyes of God. How do I love my neighbor who happens to be a knucklehead? Eh, the Bible's got a lot to say. We've got some little invitation cards they'll have at the back door if you want to take some on the way out. Be sure and get your little voter thing if you're Texas. But, but before we go, I want us to take just a minute and give God the opportunity to do something with this 40-minute message that will last more than 40 minutes. I want you to just bow your head a moment and just say, Lord, what are you saying to me? This morning I was uncomfortable. This morning I clapped. This morning I was mad. This morning I was embarrassed. Now what are you saying to me? If you are the God who so loved the world, every person in it, and I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. What does this mean? I wonder if you're here today and you'll say, Pastor, I've, I, I've really been hurt by all this. And I had a wall up today because I, I felt the sting of prejudice. I've, I, I've, I've been neglected and pushed aside because of the way I look, because of what I didn't have or color my skin or just a variety of things. And I built up a wall. And, and, and it, and it kind of gets on me. It makes me bitter sometimes. It makes me mad. And I don't want to live like that. I want God to heal that part of my life. I don't want to be bitter. I don't want to keep blaming people for something that happened. I want to take what's been like a clenched fist. And I want to open it up today. I want God to make me new in this. I need His cleansing and renewal and forgiveness. Nobody looking around, but if that's you, just slip up your hand right now. So I've got some wounds, Pastor. Yeah, sure. Yeah, just lift your hand to God. You're just being honest with God. You're reaching out to God. That's right. Enough tell a soul. But just say, Lord, this bothers me. It's hurt me. It's shaped me. It's made me into something I don't like being. Holy Spirit, we just pray that your presence would just flood all my friends, my brothers, my sisters that have lifted their hands this morning and saying that they need healing from the pain. I want to ask you this question. Again, nobody looking around, but maybe you've given some of that pain. Maybe you've looked down your nose at people. Maybe you've used a lot of racial slurs. Maybe you've told jokes that Jesus would never tell, and you, you didn't stand up when you should have stood up when someone else was being abused, violated, discriminated against, whatever the case is. And the Holy Spirit's put his finger on that and said, I, I want some change here. If that's you and you say, Lord, I get the message, just slip your hand up right quick. I've got some of that in my life. I, some TV shows I listen to, some jokes. I mean, just stuff. I, I, I've done it. I, I might have done it because my dad or granddaddy did it or, or, or what, but, but I've done it. And I want to ask you to forgive me, Lord, because I don't, if you love people, then I need to love people. And I want to be a Christian before I'm anything else. And I want to pattern my life after you. Welcome, Holy Spirit, today. We're going to close with a personal prayer. They'll sing this song one last time and dismiss, but 
just a moment, I'm going to ask our prayer team to come forwards. And if there's anything that has really resonated with you and you feel you need to just really pray about it on a personal level, now's a great time to do it. You know, I've often found that times when when God's Word and the Holy Spirit has, has opened, opened me up, I, I need the right kind of closure. And sometimes you just need somebody to pray for you and you to just say something. We'd like to pray for you in a very personal, confidential way. We'll pray for anything, though, that maybe have stayed with you. But the most important thing we'd like to pray for is your own personal spiritual life. Maybe if you died today, you don't know if you'd go to heaven or hell. Or or maybe it's not just about heaven or hell. Maybe it's you just have never really known the love of God. You heard that little testimony of the little 16-year-old during our offering time. That was my daughter, Rebecca. Uh, I know she read her Bible a little bit growing up because I'd make her do it. (laughs) But how many know you can't make somebody be a Christian? Being a Christian is when you open your heart to God. And, 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 and in the seventh grade, she reached out to God. And then her conversation changed and said, I began a relationship with God. I knew He cared about me. He's my Father. He's always with me. You see, that starts when a person surrenders their life to God and is what the Bible calls being born again or saved. When Jesus changes you on the inside, when it's not just about you doing religious things, but God begins to change you as you follow Him. Maybe that's what you need today. And if that's you, you need to get right with God. I want you to come in just a moment to this cross to my right. That cross, recognizing what Jesus did on the cross to our forgiveness. Somebody will pray for you as you commit your life to Christ and give you something to help you. But right now, they're going to begin to sing. And our prayer team is going to come around the altar for you. If you need prayer for anything, just slip right out of your chair and let this be a God moment that might change you forever. If you want to make a commitment of your life to Christ, just slip out of your chair. Don't let anything hold you back, but you come and we'll pray. I love you very much. You be sure and invite somebody next week. prayer team's going to remain around front and they'll pray with you for whatever's going on in your life they'd love to hey but before you're dismissed i want to remind you tonight that we're having prayer at six and they're going to have healing rooms at five here so if you want to come and just join in for a time of prayer and if you need personal ministry on five they'll be here look forward to seeing you god bless you and hope you have a great week